Well, good morning, Grace Center. Good morning, Grace Center. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I have been, we have been around the world, me and uh, Brad, um, <clears throat> went to the UK, went to South Africa, and uh, <clears throat> had a great time. I, it was interesting. Uh, I don't know that I've ever been this tired. Uh, no, 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 that's not a sympathy thing. No, it's a, this is a, a humorous thing. In that, the first... Somehow from, I think it was from uh, Manchester, England, down to Dubai, down to South Africa. That was the leg that we took. I, I don't know how, but I was awake for 48 hours. If you've never done that, you should try it. <clears throat> it's amazing. I was in and out of reality and uh, seriously, I was in and out of reality. And uh, I didn't realize how tired I was till um, we had arrived, uh, I guess, in the early morning in South Africa. And we're trying to stay awake. I'm trying to stay awake so that I can, my body clock will reset. And, and so it was around 6 p.m. We're sitting out uh, outside. It's, weather's wonderful. Drinking coffee. And, and uh, I'm, we're, uh, Brad and I are talking. And then for whatever reason, I guess because we're both tired, the conversation had a, had a moment of pause in it. And during that pause, I went to sleep, but my eyes were awake. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm asleep. He's talking to me and I'm dreaming. And in the dream, I answer him. And then somehow I came to awareness and went, oh, I woke up and I said, Brad, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I just said. I was dreaming. I said, I've, I've been going in and out of sleep while you're, so he thought that was funny. And uh, <clears throat> he said, Jeff, you know, I think what's happening is, is your brain is, is shutting down and it's trying to go to sleep. And uh, anyway, it was, it was, you know, if you've never been delirious, that, that's the way to go right there. So I think I was at the point of delirious, delirium, delirious, deliria, is that plural for, I don't know. I could be, the, I could be delirious right now, you know, kind of feels like it is, but anyway, Good to see you guys. Good to be back. Heard you guys had some amazing messages. David Wagner and Alan and brought the word on the church. That was awesome. We had a great time uh, over where we were, and I'll probably fill you in on that a little bit later. Um, uh, I did want to say something. I want to say something. This, so I'm, I'm shifting gears. I, here in, uh, while we were worshiping, I felt very slight, just a very slight admonition, a very slight encouragement for you to ask you to begin to journal. Say, so Jeff, why? Well, I believe, <clears throat> quite honestly, for a lot of us here, I've said this uh, a few weeks ago, that you're on a collision, we are on a collision course with the faithfulness of God. The reason that I'm asking you to journal is because when it happens, you could miss it. And <clears throat> yeah, so that's all I'm going to say about that. But I just, I felt that stir up again about the faithfulness of God. And remember, the equation for the faithfulness of God is he is faithful even when we are faithful. 
Whew, I could cry. He is faithful even when we are faithless. Mm. So we've been on this <clears throat> track. I think this is our fifth week. We've been talking about a couple of scriptures and pointing to this one in Exodus. And we'll look at it here in just a minute. <clears throat> it's where the Lord says, I will meet you there. And from this place, I will talk to you. From this place, we will interact. From this place. And I keep get pulling back, getting, getting pulled back to this one scripture because I think that this scripture is actually the focal point, the center point of the entire Bible. This place where God interacts with man. This place called atonement. <clears throat> and um, one of the things that I was thinking about, I, I've given this message uh, in our school uh, for year two. And the benefit of doing that is, is I had these students for like four or five sessions straight. And so there's no break except for just a little bathroom break. And so it's real easy for what I'm talking about to build upon uh, uh, the premise to build upon each other because there's no break and they can retain it all at once. And the dilemma that I have here is that I'm speaking, uh, if I'm speaking every week, we've got seven days in between. And so I don't know what's being retained and what's being lost. And, um, and so there's this di dilemma that I have because I feel, ah, oh, guys, I feel so strong by the Holy Spirit, so strong that God is moving, wanting to move in the church today and to actually shore up the things that are missing as it pertains to the sacrifice of Jesus and what he's done. It needs to be shored up, it needs to be shored up. We know by and large what he's done, but we're not sure why. For some of us, we know what he's done, but we're not really sure of all that he's done. And so this, the message that I'm on, uh, th this track that I'm on that I can't get off of is <clears throat> doing several things. One is it's pointing to the what behind the what. What he's done. It's, it's the what behind the what. The other one is it's answering the why behind the what. We need to know the why behind the what. We don't need to just know what it is. We don't need to know what he's done. We need to know why he's done it. We need to understand when scripture says, forget none of his benefits. What are the benefits? We have benefits. There's actually benefits. I thought it was just fire insurance. No, it's actually, there are actually benefits. And what I feel like is that the Holy Spirit is targeting, just for, for all I can speak for is this, these four walls right here, the Grace Center. That's all I can speak for. For this house, for this church to actually experience and know. They know the scriptures and we know the power of God. We experience it. We experience the life that is in the scripture. We experience the power that is in the scripture. It's interesting, of all the weapons that Jesus could have used when he was, when he was going against the devil, he used scripture. Right. Of all the things that he could have used, he could have used fire, he could have used ice, he could have used whatever. But he didn't, he chose scripture. 
Scripture pushed it back. That, that tells me something. It tells me that there's actually power in Scripture that I've not realized yet. There's actually power in the Word of God. The Word of God is eternal. It never goes to sleep. It's in the past, but it's still in the present. The Word of God that was spoken in the past is still alive today in the present. The Word is the same today as it was then, as the same as it will in the coming days, in the coming years, in the coming millennium. It'll all be the same. The one who was and who is and who is to come. He never changes. And the thing also that I'm working on, God, I need help in this, is he's got to adjust the way that we listen. He's got to adjust the way that I listen. He's got to adjust the way that we listen. Our brains are so clever. We are on this track for new information. Information, 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 information. Information is great. Unfortunately, transformation doesn't happen solely on information. It's when information becomes revelation. And the revelation actually births births the transformation. That's what he's after. Just because you've heard this several times doesn't mean that you've got it. Doesn't mean that I've got it. There's still more. I have to cause my brain. I have to pull the reins on my brain so that my spirit man can catch up. So, pray for me. No, out loud. I'm just kidding. So, pray for us. So, if Lord, I ask today, Lord, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to be released upon all of us so that we would know the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of the love of God. Lord, I ask, Lord, that there would be an influx, Lord, of revelation of the love of God for us, for me, individually, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, good looking. I, um, <clears throat> this, this, this verse in, in Acts, uh, I keep getting pulled back to this verse. Go stand and speak the whole message of this life. What we are doing, what I'm wanting to do is to shore up the message of this life. The Holy Spirit's wanting to shore it up. I believe by and large, by and large, we are familiar with part of the message of this life. We are not familiar. We don't know to the full extent the whole message of this life. The whole message of this life is the message concerning Jesus and what he has done. I am getting wrecked, so wrecked, as I'm seeing how the, the scriptures are beginning to unpack and I'm seeing the centrality of Jesus, the centrality of Jesus to the point to where now I'm beginning to understand when I read the verse that Tony read today in Revelation chapter four, I'm beginning to understand why at the end of the age that the elders, everyone's falling down and giving all of their worship to this one. It's because they see what he's done. They know what he's done. They're seeing it in real time. Before, I couldn't quite grasp it. I mean, there's something about this, this passage in Revelation 4 and 5 that would grip me. That every time I would read it, it's like, oh, wow, my spirit man's coming alive. 
But now I'm beginning to understand what Jesus has done. Now I'm beginning to understand, oh, I understand why every knee will bow, every tongue will confess at the name of Jesus. Because we'll have full on revelation of of what he has done, what he has accomplished, and what he has provided for us. Who've been lost. We have no way of getting back to him. I don't know if I'm going to use this or not, but just for reference point, this is Psalms 89.14. This is not Psalms 89.14. For reference point, this is Psalms 89.14. <laughs> Psalms 89.14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before your face. Tony talked about the one who sits on the throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. His government sits on righteousness and justice. Justice being administered, righteousness being rewarded. He sits on this throne. It's constantly happening. So that's a reference point. I might go back to this. The whole message of this life Exodus 30, uh, 25, 22 says, I will meet you there. I will, I will talk to you from there, from above the atonement cover. Some of your uh, translations say the mercy seat. This place where God had designated 45 inches by 27 inches. And he says, out of all creation, out of all the places on earth, I'm going to meet you there at this 45 by 27 inch piece of... It's like, What? Yeah, I can meet you there. What's so significant about there? Well, it's, it's, it's the place where the atonement happens. It's the place where blood is actually spilled. I can meet with you at the place of the, of the, of the blood spill. I can meet with you there. I can talk to you there. We've been estranged up until now because of the fall of man. It says in scripture, by one man, sin entered into the world. By, through one man, through that fall, man was, became estranged from God. God was desperately looking for a way to get back to man, and he found a place. It's in the atonement. It's in the shedding of the blood. It's in the place where the life of the innocent is given in exchange for the life of the guilty. I can meet you there. I can talk to you from there. From there, I will give you my directions. From there, we will speak. (sighs) This is the central point, the central point of the entire gospel. It's a place of atonement. It's a place where God and man are reunited. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 4. All of what we're talking about seems to be 
going a little bit forward and a little bit back and looking at what we just talked about and a little bit forward and a little bit back and looking at what we're talking about and a little bit forward and a little bit back looking at what we've been talking about. And this is one of those Sundays, we're gonna go a little bit forward, we're gonna go a little bit back and look at what we've been talking about because this thing is not linearly. You're not gonna get this in a linear fashion. This is organic. This revelation of who he is, it's organic. In Luke chapter four, Jesus and his disciples, they return back to his hometown in Nazareth. And Jesus walks into the temple and he stands up to read the, the, uh, the scripture and they hand him, he asks for the scripture of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. So they hand it to him and he searches and he looks at the place where he could find this place that was out of Isaiah 61. And he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Can I just stop right there and say, we're reading about something that happened 2,000 years ago, and yet those words are just as much alive and true as they, today as they were then. He is still doing this. He is still doing this. Can I just tell you, as I'm speaking to you today, for some of you, chains are going to begin to fall off just because he is still doing the very things that we just read about. That wasn't a one-time thing. This is him now. He's the God of the now. Everyone say that. He's the God of the now. That means he's waiting to break in now. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. We talked about this before and the thing that I just keep replaying in my mind is that scene right there, what it must have been to, to have sat there and heard him read that. And then the, 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 to, to try to figure out why were all of the eyes in that place fixed on him? Something was ringing their chimes, Some, something, their spirit man was resounding, it was reverberating with something, not just a truth, there, there was something that was going off here. And so I want us to look at that. And then he goes on to say, in the next verse, today the scripture, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I want us to look at, like, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What in the world is he talking about? Is he talking about the oppression? Is he talking about the blind people? Is he talking about, I think he's talking about all of that. The thing that I want to hone in on is his sentence to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What is the favorable year of the Lord? Why is this so significant? We need to go back and look at this. We need to bring this forward. The favorable year of the Lord, what is he referring to? The favorable year of the Lord is referring to the year of Jubilee. That's what the favorable year of the Lord is. Why, what is that? Exactly, and why is that so significant? It, this is very significant in the age that we live in right now, the day that we live in right now, because you and I are living in the favorable year of the Lord. Today, 
is the favorable year of the Lord. 2019 is the favorable year of the Lord. 2020 will be the favorable year of the Lord. Your entire life, you were born into the favorable year of the Lord. This is a huge deal that you need to understand. We need to understand what this is. So in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 15, is that right? No, verse 10. Whew, man, it is time to get new, new readers. Let's say 1.5. These are 1.0s. Says, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. This is a significant year, the 50th year, the year of jubilee, the favorable year of the Lord. Why? Because it's the, it's the year that everything gets reset. All the debts are canceled. The things that you sold to get to where you are are now returned to you. If you sold yourself into slavery, you are now free from that slavery and you get to return back to your family. It's a favorable year of the Lord. Jesus said, I've come to declare the favorable year of of the Lord. I've come to announce it. The favorable year of the Lord. Debts are canceled. Families are restored. Everything that you've given away is now given back to you. You get to reset. It's a reset button. You get to go back to zero. It's clearing the screen. It's the shaking of the Etch-A-Sketch. I couldn't do stair, anything but stairs anyway, so. <laughs> Some of you are going, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> Everything that was lost gets reset. The thing that was, that's interesting about this is this is not just talking about monetary stuff. This is not just material stuff. Think about it, spiritual things that happened. Decisions that forefathers made, that my forefathers made that actually caused me to be sold into slavery, sold into bondage, sold into oppression, now get broken. It's a year of Jubilee, it's a favorable year of the Lord. He's come to break off those, the not, only, not only that, but sickness. Sickness, the things that, I've, that, have, that have come down the line, that have come to oppress me through sickness, through disease, or now, it's now broken. It's a favorable year of the Lord. So, it's the 50th year. The things that we've been sold into slave, the things that have caused us to be in bondage, to be in oppression, to be controlled by the devil. Second Peter says this, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. So there were spiritual slaves as well as physical slaves. Everything gets reset 
The year of Jubilee applies spiritually as well as monetarily, but the beer, the, the, the beer, <laughs> the year of Jubilee begins on a certain day. The year of Jubilee, it begins on a certain day. And we're going to find it. Well, let's, let's look at it. It wasn't the year that set this into motion. It's the day that sets it into motion. When is the day of atonement? When is the year of Jubilee? Then you shall cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all of your land. Huh. So if we were to put that into our calendar, so that means that in the 50th year, which is the year of Jubilee, January the 1st does not initiate the year of Jubilee. it would be July the 10th on our calendar. July the 10th, why that day? It's the day of atonement. The year of Jubilee was initiated on the day of atonement. I will meet you there. I will talk to you from there. From there, I will give you direction. Jesus gets up and reads the scripture and the eyes of everyone are fixed on him. He goes and sits down, everyone's still looking at him. Why? If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter one, verse 10. I want you to see this. John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Did you see it? When is the day of atonement? When is the year of Jubilee announced? How's it announced? With a trumpet. John is saying, I heard a voice behind me like a trumpet. Saying, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches that are in Asia. Why were the eyes of all the people fixed on Jesus when you read that one? Because the one whose voice is like a trumpet had sounded in the church of Nazareth that day. Announcing the day of atonement. The trumpet of Jubilee was sounding. They were hearing the trumpet of Jubilee reading scripture to them. A powerful, powerful day. No wonder everybody's gaze was fixed on him. Something else was happening in the spirit. Not only was he just reading, not only was he reading scripture, but the trumpet was actually sounding the day, the favorable year of the Lord. Today, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. 
So we're going forward, we're going back. We're going forward, we're going back. We keep doing this. We're going forward, we're going back. In Leviticus 17, 11. It says, for the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. That's the definition of atonement. I've given you, for the life of the body is in its blood, I've given you the blood on the altar, making atonement for you. I will meet you there. I will talk to you from there. From there, I will give you my direction. There's only one place. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Last week, you took communion. I believe what was read was 1 Corinthians 11. It says this, Paul says this when he's talking about communion. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. A man must examine himself and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For the life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. Paul goes on, verse 30. For this reason... Many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep or have died. What's he talking about? They've missed the essence of the body. Provision has been made for us in the body. This is the part that needs to be shored up in the church. This is the part, the whole message of this life. This is the whole message of this life is being preached right now. Blood given in exchange for a life. That means there's an exchange that's happened. What does the exchange mean? That means I get to trade in what I have in exchange for what he has. The life of the body is in its blood. The life of the bull, the life of the sheep, the life of the ram, the life of the goat is in its blood. It's in the blood. What is in the life of Jesus? What is in the blood of Jesus? Well, number one, it's eternal, it's sinless. It's full of life. You'll never die. That's the exchange. It's okay. We're, we're chipping away. 
It's the blood that's given in substitution for a life. Psalms 49. This is an amazing verse. No man can pay for the life of anyone else. No one can give God what that would cost. The price for a life is very high. No payment is ever enough. No one can pay enough to live forever and not rot in the grave. Who then can be saved? Ah, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. No one can pay for the life of anyone else, and yet God found a ransom for the life of a person. No one can give God what that would cost, and yet God did find a payment. No payment is ever enough. He found a payment that would pay for the life of all mankind. It's in his son, Jesus. The life of Jesus is the payment. In Jude, I mean, in Job, excuse me, says, deliver him, talking about Job, deliver him from going down into the pit of destruction. I have found a ransom. I have found an atonement. Pull that person out of the pit. Jeff, you're being pulled out of the pit. I have found a substitution for your life. McLaurin, I have found a substitution for your life. You no longer have to be in the pit. I have found a substitution. I have found a payment. I have found someone. I have found someone. I have found your substitute. I have found him. His name is Jesus. The payment for our sin and the penalty for our sin have all been paid for by Jesus. It's interesting that in our judicial judicial system, if someone's arrested and breaks the law, it goes on their record. They might have to go to court, might have to pay a fine, and in some instances, people have to go to prison. And even though that a person goes to prison and serves their sentence, when they are released, it still goes on their record. I, I just uh, received an email a couple of weeks ago from a friend of mine who several years ago made a really bad choice and uh, as a result went to prison. Now, now that he's out, he served his time, he's, he's out. He can't get a job, he can't get credit, he can't get an apartment because of what's on his record. And I'm watching this, the shame of that mistake follows him around everywhere. He can't get away from it. And he's asking for, uh, 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 what do you call that? Uh, yeah, pardon, but what's it called? Clemency from the government to somehow, can you remove this record of what I've done? I've paid the debt. I've paid for it. I can't get it off my record. I can't get it away. I can't get out from underneath it. Their record constantly reminds them of their past and the result is that they cannot break out of their shame. Can I just show you something? Jesus has dealt with your past. Yes. Yes. 
He has dealt with your shame. Look at Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verses 18 and 19. Early in the morning, Jesus was on his way back to Jerusalem and he was hungry. He saw a fig tree by the road. He went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And right away, the tree dried up. It's like, whoa, this is, this is one of the most unusual, like, trying to figure that one out. It's like, well, I guess he's not a morning person. <laughs> it's like, oh, or boy, you know, when Jesus is hungry, you better have something ready for him because he's going to, he'll nuke you. And so I was, you know, I'm like, this, you know, I was try- so when I picture Jesus, I, if I ever have a hard time picturing Jesus, I go to 1 Corinthians 13. And, and this personifies what Jesus looks like in my head. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, I'm like, I don't see any of 1 Corinthians 13 in that exchange right there. <laughs> right? So what is he doing? Well, I just want to tell you, he was doing a little bit, something a little more than getting mad at a fruit tree. He was prophetically addressing something. He was addressing it and he was killing it. And this something would would forever try to plague mankind. Let me show you what it is. In Genesis chapter three, verse six, look at this. This is the story of Adam and Eve. The serpent has just done his mind swirl on her. And it says that the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I said that this was prophetic. They made an attempt to cover their own shame brought on by their sin by making a covering for themselves that just happened to be fig leaves. Thinking we have sinned and brought shame upon ourselves and so we'll cover it so as not to be ashamed. But God had a different plan. Verse 21, the Lord God made clothes out of animal skins for Adam and his wife to wear. God provided a sacrifice. In this sacrifice, an innocent life was substituted for a guilty life. God's sacrifice atoned for man's sin. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God's sacrifice covered man's shame. The record of my past is covered. The record of your past is covered. Jesus was cursing the fig tree because he, being God's sacrifice, would become the covering for our shame. Oh, 
they lay the crowns at his feet. All glory, all honor, all power, all dominion. Now, when Father God looks at you, he doesn't see the shame of our past. He sees his son, Jesus. It's his righteousness, it's his goodness that he sees. He's everything. Jesus is everything. If anyone in Scripture understood this, it was Paul. Paul's past was hideous. He grew up persecuting the church, throwing men and women and children into prison killing people for the sake of whatever. Then he gets saved. If anyone's past would have tormented them continually, the enemy could have had a heyday on Paul. Yet Paul understood this in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. I have been made right with God. You have been made right with God. Not only being made right, but your, our, our record, our sins, everything has been erased. He covers our shame. You don't have to cover your shame. This is just as much the importance of uh, believing this as it is in believing in salvation. It's the whole message of this life. The whole message. Go, stand, and speak the whole message of this life. In Hebrews 1, we'll wrap up with this. Hebrews 1 says this, God after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. That's a beautiful verse. In these last days has spoken to us in his son, that in his son is in the person of a son. God still speaks to us in the person of a son. What is he referring to? I will meet you there. I will speak to you from there. That there in the Old Testament is 45 inches by 27 inches. It's a place of atonement. In the New Testament, it's a person. It's Jesus. I will meet you there. I will speak to you from there. Let's stand. Could I just tell you what, what is entering into the room is the holiness of God. That's what you're feeling.
he is absolutely other than. Completely other than. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great are his ways above our ways. His mercy is higher. There's an, I feel like that the Holy Spirit is very gently reaching, reaching through to our hearts and pulling on our heart to accept this, to believe this. I find it's easier for me to believe it for someone else than it is for me to believe it for me. I don't know if you're like that. Having therefore been made right with the Lord, Jeff Dollar now has peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. No more is it up to him being in a good mood or me having a good day. Everything is centered around what Jesus has done. Father, I ask that for today, Lord, that you would come, Holy Spirit, by your Holy Spirit, would you come and seal this message? Would you seal it, Lord, around our hearts? Would you place us, Lord, as a seal upon your heart? Would you seal this message around our hearts, Lord? I ask, Lord, that, that in the days ahead, that the seed that has gone into the soil of our heart would begin to bear fruit. I thank you, Lord, that no word returns to you void of having accomplished what it was meant to accomplish. I speak and then make a proclamation that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. Every knee of sickness, every knee of, of oppression, every knee of disease, you will bow to the name of Jesus. Command you to bow to the name of Jesus. Chains that have bound, I, I, I declare release to the captives in Jesus' name. I declare a release to mental oppression in the name of Jesus. Depression, anxiety, mental oppression in the name of Jesus. To bow to the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you. Abba, we love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that, that you are here with us this morning. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and give you peace. May he cause his countenance to shine upon you, his smile to be upon you. His smile to be upon you today. His smile to be upon you this week.
I pray, Lord, that the level of truth would rise so much higher than the level of deception in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in your name, in Jesus' name, amen.